Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Good to have you with us, gang. Another pod. You see, I promised you they're coming thick and fast. A two-team franchise deep dive with two ESPN insiders. John Kime, who covers Washington day in, day out, coming up very shortly. Jordan Rahnan, ESPN's NYG insider. Big blue things are looking up for them. What have both teams been up to in free agency? Who are they looking at? in the draft what about the season ahead can either take control of the nfc east it is a winnable division after all it's going to be more competitive this time around that's for sure and these two will explain exactly why that is so we will get straight down to business kicking off with john kine He is the host of the John Kime Report, available wherever you get your podcasts. Download, subscribe. You heard the drill. Uh, ESPN's Washington inside of John Kime. Delighted to say joins us now. Good to see you, John. How's life? Uh, we're, we're pushing through, Nat. I think like everybody else right now, and you know, hopefully light at the end of the tunnel here. That's what we're hoping. Uh, well, that certainly seems to be the way as far as the Washington football team are concerned. Things are very positive at the moment, certainly on the field. I want to get into that and all the, the off-season moves to date, uh, what you think the team might do in the draft. But I want to start with the off-field situation because, of course, it was an incredibly complicated summer for the organization. <laughs> and that's diplomatically put. Last year, yeah, the hurried team name change, a lot of negative press around Daniel Snyder and the, the organization. What has been going on this offseason so far operationally to try and offset some of that 
dysfunction, if I can call it that. Well, you definitely can call it that because that's what it had was and what it's had what it had been for a long time. And it was an exhausting summer to cover this team because there was, you know, there was never really a time where you could be off. So it just kept one thing after another snowballing, snowballing, snowballing. So this offseason, um, they've moved along with the name stuff. They're further along in that area. It's still probably they're definitely going to use football team throughout this year. Mm. And then by 2022, they'll have a new or in 2022, they'll have a new name at the latest. Is there a show? Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, they're putting out a bunch of lists and asking people right now, kind of given that you're looking for input on a bunch of different names. Um, I don't know that there's a short list right now. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't, I don't think they'd share that anyways. Um, So that's one of the things going on. And Jason Wright, the team president, after all these articles or after all this stuff with Daniel Snyder and all this other stuff happened, he was hired first black um, team president in the NFL and he's been a transparent voice for the organization on the business side. And I think so there's a difference. And he interacts a lot more with fans. They like him a lot more than Bruce Allen, who used to be in that role. Um, so that's that's different. And, you know, um, I think they've there's been a I don't want to say big emphasis on diver, adding diversity, but they have added a lot of diversity, whether it's gender or race or whatever, or not just that, but people from outside the organization. And so. One of the things that you'd hear from people who had been here was two things. They needed more diversity and they needed p- voices from outside the organization. And, and I was told like Daniel Snyder used to scoff at all of that, mm. you know, just didn't want any part of that. And, or not so it didn't just didn't think it was necessary. Well, clearly now they do. And I think the voices out, from outside the organization are important because it, it adds a different perspective to people who, who had been here and I think it was necessary. So that's been going on. Um, and, you know, um, there's still Daniel Snyder bought up the remaining shares from the minority partners to own his family now owns the entire team. There is definitely a lot of fans who wish that had that, that he would have ended up selling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that he has fully I don't he has not certainly fully uh, moved on from all those issues. And I'm not sure that he ever will. Um, but owners aren't going to force them out over what's been publicly reported. I know that. Mm. Um, I think we all know that at this point, but so I think that's still something that's, you know, going on there, that investigation by the NFL, the independent investigation is still going on. So we don't know what the results of that are, what what that will show. um, And if that matters to anything, as far as his ownership, his situation, whether suspension, fine, whatever, Mm. that's something we still have to learn about. So there's still things going on. I think they've tried. I know there are a lot of people there, including Ron Rivera, who are like, why are we keep getting, why do we keep getting chained to the past? But the problem is to move forward here, that pass is going to keep coming up because it is, it is what's gone on um, in many, in many different areas, not just the, the sexual harassment stuff, but just what they were as an organization until you on the field, until you win, the narrative will be what it is. Mm. And then until you show that you can build a culture that doesn't have all these issues, that's going to be there. So the further, the further they get from that, the more they build, then the better off it will be. So still it's, and it's a long winded answer. I'm sorry, Nat, but there's like, I don't think it's, it's hard to sum up what's going on here and what's going on and you know, what's transpired since then um, in a, in a very short way. So I probably missed something, 
but you get a Cliff Notes version kind of. of no, it's really insightful <laughs> of what's going on. Very quick follow up on that. And then we'll get down to the business on the field. Just interesting in terms of Snyder's role within the organization. Of course, it makes a lot of sense politics sense that he's been kept out of the out of the front line and uh they've addressed some of the the issues that seem to be inherent within the organization but if you compare him to somebody like jerry jones who is the, the prototype i guess of a hands-on owner right obviously he has a huge amount of say in uh, the personnel and, uh, and and the day-to-day running of the cowboys if jerry jones is a 10 <laughs> where's daniel snyder in terms of his day-to-day involvement with the team i don't think well I, it's certainly not a 10 i would put it maybe below five, but, um, but that's a day-to-day involvement. And, and I think he, I think right now is a good time for some of these people to have come in because he's going to take a backseat on some things because he's been criticized so much for some things that I think that actually works to their benefit. Like you're going to give Ron Rivera a lot of power in the football decision-making process and and he's a minority head coach. So like, I think he's going to back off in part for some of those reasons, not just because he's a minority head coach, but like you don't want to step on him right now. Right. And you're not going to, you know, um, I think you're going to give him some latitude to do certain things that you wouldn't have maybe if you weren't going through all these issues and Mm -hmm. same with Jason Wright. Um, But he's always going to have an influence. It is his team. And I think, where, like, for example, even the last couple of years, he would spend a lot of time just like on his yacht over in France or something like that. Mm. He wasn't in there day to day, but you still have cell phones, right? So it wasn't <laughs> like Zoom. Was a, right, he was an early adopter of Zoom, I bet. Right, right, right. And you know, it wasn't a daily presence that he had, but we also know that there were certain draft picks, Dwayne Haskins. And I do think like Darius Geis was, from my understanding, was Mm. the guy that he wanted as well. He still had an influence saying, this is the guy that I want Mm. and and made it clear. And like in Haskins' case, um, he was moved up their draft board because I think it was at the the bequest of the owner. And so that's why they ended up taking him. So, So he still has that influence. Now, I don't think he's, I don't know that he would be involved in getting quarterback. Now, typically the big quarterback moves have been made with him kind of leading it, whether RG3 trade, Donovan McNabb. Now, others there, Bruce Allen, would have say in that as well. Um, so I don't, but it, like, you know, again, it's just too long of an answer. But with, so if the daily, the daily input is not there, certainly not like Jerry Jones. But the impact can still be there. I just think that right now there's some latitude for this group to do what they need to do. And like when this, when when he gave Ron Rivera all the power, what I heard from a lot of people was he's going to have Rivera will get two or three years of this. But then you got to produce because if you don't produce, then he'll be back in. Um, you know, taking a lot more control. Yeah, that figures if everybody's winning, then everybody's happy. Let's talk about then how they're going to produce and focusing very much on the offense, which was obvious to anybody watching the team last season is something they needed to do. Starting at quarterbacks, so a Fitz coming in, is he realistically, John, coming in as the starter or do you think there'll be a genuine battle in camp? No, he's a starter and they can say there's going to be a competition, but he was co- he, he's coming here to be the starter. Um, Kyle Allen, and right now it's Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke would be the other two choices. And he's just, he's just better. I mean, so he is going to be the starter now. The question then becomes, Nat, is 
what do they do in the draft? That we don't know yet. And we, I'm sure you want to get into that. But Fitzpatrick does come in as a starter. And, and Ron Rivera said he's going to be like, he's going into camp as a starter, but then, we'll, then there will be a competition. I just I don't see anybody bumping him off that he's they they feel like Fitzpatrick had been playing pretty well the last couple of years at a higher level than what these guys are going to play. And so, yeah, he'll I I would be shocked if he's not the starter on day one in in the season. And Fitz, I guess, took the gig on the basis that he was going to be the starter. I guess it would be pulling out uh, the rug from underneath him if if he suddenly found himself in in a genuine battle. Heineke is an interesting player because he had you know, an impressive cameo, I think we can call it last season and, and uh, imp- impressed people. Cause I think the, the expectation level was quite low, wasn't it? In terms right. of where he'd come from and far too small a sample size to have any real understanding of whether he's a, a long-term starter in the NFL, but are the organization looking at him as a potential development option and, and, a, and a viable, incredible one in the sense that in the same way they might draft a quarterback and he sits under fits, maybe a mid round quarterback sits under fits as opposed to one of the big five going in the draft sits under fits for a year and we'll see, and maybe we've got something. Are they looking at it the same way with Heineke? No, because they are looking at other guys to draft. So if they were looking at that, like with Heineke, then they wouldn't be looking so hard to draft somebody. So no, they're not looking at him the same way. And they didn't pay him that way either. He only got a million and a half guaranteed now, which only a million and a half, but for an NFL quarterback, you know, now for where he was, that's really good. But I think it's also Mm. an indication like they had him before they cut him before in Carolina. So I don't know that there was a big surprise that he could come in and give him a spark and that he'd be prepared and ready for his opportunity, which he was. But no, they're not looking at it. Now, I will say, that that the one scenario that exists, that if they don't get their guy on day, like if you don't get a guy on day two, so second or third round, to draft a quarterback in the fourth round, it's like, well, maybe you already have that kind of guy in camp, right? Mm. Um, second or third round, now, especially with some of these quarterbacks, at Davis Mills, um, Kyle Trask, they do have some upside that's worth seeing where they go. And people can argue about where they might go, but both are somewhat young in their development. So you can at least see, and there's a, but once you get to that fourth, fifth range, it's hard for those guys to make it. I mean, you, you know, they're always outliers, but it's really hard. So I think, so the one scenario that exists, if they don't get that guy on day two, then they'll ride with what they have. Mm-hmm. And then in that situation, it's like, hey, maybe he develops. Maybe something happens and he has to play for an extended time and he does well. Because the issue with Taylor has been, first of all, durability. That's mm-hmm. a, That's been a big – he's a small quarterback. I know there's other small quarterbacks, but when you play the way he does, as we've seen with him, it leads to injuries. And he has said, well, I, will, I don't need to be as aggressive. Well, that's how you got to this point. So it's really hard for him to, for them to trust that. But if he can develop and do a good backup, I think that'd be pretty good. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. But I think to, for them to, to automatically, and like you said, small sample size, for them to cast aside what they've known from the past to just get, you say, we'll develop him would be asking a lot. But if they don't get a guy, then he'll get a chance to show over the course of the year what he could do. Mm. And then they can decide where they want to go in the offseason. I still think if they don't get that guy this year, they're going to be aggressively looking for him next year. One of the reasons that they're in this situation in the first place, of course, is, is that Dwayne Haskins didn't work out. Now the dust has settled a little bit on that. You're somebody who saw him play week in, week out. Do you think he's got a future as a starter in the NFL? Only if he changes his habits. 
period. If he doesn't be, if he doesn't become better at preparing for the game and being and handling the duty of an NFL starter, then no, he will not last because he just he's 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 got talent. Everybody sees he's got the arm talent, but to succeed in this league takes you have to be there on a Tuesday grinding the tape and and getting into the playbook and all that. And you've got to be doing that a lot. And that's something that they wanted him to do and he wasn't doing. So if he does that and he starts to mature, then I think he could be then I think he could be solid. But if he doesn't do that, I could see him being out of the league really soon mm-hmm. because he's just not like one of the things Dwayne is a he's a pocket passer. So you've got to be you've got to be elite in that area if you don't have the legs to move. He's not elite in his mechanics in the pocket and the way he operates in the pocket and his and and what he needs to be doing in the pocket to offset the fact that he's not going to hurt you the way um, a Kyler Murray would or you know or anybody you know and even Sam Darnold who's got more you know, a lot of mobility mm. a mobile quarterback. So because of that, he had to be elite with that. To be a lead with that, got to over prepare, and he didn't. You know, early on, after he got benched here last year, I was talking to somebody in the organization. He said like he went from preparing at about forty percent of the way you needed to, to after he was benched to preparing about seventy percent of the way you needed to. Interesting. It should have been a hundred percent, right? And it wasn't. And I think that's that's an issue. And so unless that changes, I don't see him having a long career. And it's unfortunate because he he's a good kid. I, he's a nice guy, and he does have ability and talent. But he's got. But it takes a lot more to succeed in the NFL. Yeah, we've seen that story before, haven't we? Okay, that's fascinating. Let's get on to some of the other business that uh, the team has done. Then, uh, starting with the offense outside of Fitz and, and Curtis Samuel, most notably, of course. Uh, f- of course, somebody Ron Rivera knows all about uh, a three-year, $34.5 million deal. And the need for speed has been answered with mm-hmm. Curtis Samuel. So let's talk about that one-two punch with with him and McLaurin, former Ohio State teammates, of course, as well. I mean, that is a pretty strong tandem, isn't it? It is. And it gives you some flexibility, too, because they can use Curtis Samuel all over the place. He, he excelled in the slot in Carolina. And the one thing... One thing that opened this staff obviously had him in Carolina. They drafted him in Carolina. So they're familiar with what he can do. But he, the Carolina expanded his role last year under a new staff. Right. And that opened the eyes of some of the people here to see all more, what more he could do. So lining up in the slot a lot was something Carolina did, but moving him around even more than what they had before. Now, before they also had Christian McCaffrey. So you're not going to get the ball more to Curtis Samuel. We got Christian McCaffrey there. Right. And Chris McCaffrey was hurt a lot last year. Mm. So I think that helped Samuel expand it. Samuel expand his game. Mm. But here they can line him up in the slot. And they also signed Adam Humphreys, who's a slot receiver. Right. So because of that, now you can move Curtis around even more. So you can put him outside with McLaurin. You can line those two up together and have him on either side. Like you can, because Terry McLaurin can run routes from the slot as well or from the inside. So you could have like their examples, like you don't see slot receivers just running flat go routes a lot, but this guy can do that because he threatens you in that way. Mm. One of the things McLaurin does exceptionally well is, is working the inside. 
you got you got Samuel on uh, to his left, like you're on the wide right. You got Samuel inside to his left, and Samuel was running a deep go. Now you got McCorn running a, a deep dig. Mm. Now he's open because that that middle is cleared mm. because of, because of Curtis Samuel. So mm. that's how they envision they can run routes with them out of the backfield. And you saw that when Carolina played Washington last year, he runs a he runs a go down the seam out of the backfield. And it just creates a mismatch. Guy is going to burn you. And if not, it opens it up for somebody else. So that's, in theory, that's what they're hoping for. But they like him as a versatile guy. And he does add that speed, which they needed. That is fascinating. You mentioned the Humphreys deal uh, or the Humphreys signing. It's a one-year deal. There are a lot of those flying around, of course, this this free agency for for obvious reasons and the financial pressure that most teams are under. But is there more to it than that? Is that his health? Is is that an issue and a concern for the organization? (laughs) Well, that's why I think he got a small deal because he's coming off that concussion. I mean, missed like, I think he missed nine games last year, mm-hmm. missed a few games the year before. So that did play into for with not just here, but for any team is only it's less than $2 million. I mean, that's a, that's a pittance for that guy. And um, so I think, yeah, I definitely think it played a factor into it. And I think he wanted to come here though, because of going back to Fitzpatrick, knowing that he'll get him the ball. And I don't know that he's not going to put up huge numbers because I think if you surround yourself with more talent, if Adam Humphreys is putting up huge numbers for you, I don't think your offense is going where it needs to go. But I do think he can he adds value here because he can work the middle of the field and he can play off the tight ends, Logan Thomas. And um, so, but yes, I do think that that concussion and, and, and that weighed into his getting a lesser deal. It's a one-year prove-it deal. Mm. Interesting when you combine all of that talent, Logan Thomas as well, of course. Uh, McKissick out of the backfield is, is a good option for, for Fitz yeah. as well. And then you've got Antonio Gibson going into his sophomore year and he had a, a pretty decent rookie season, 4.7 yards he was averaging per carry. There's, there's clear upside for him as well as he gets more acclimatized to, to life in the big league. So Scott Turner's got a lot more to play with, doesn't he, in his, in his sophomore season? He does, and they needed to divert. Listen, there's still more they need to add on this offense. They still need an, another reliable tight end option next to Logan Thomas. They have guys are trying to convert from other spar- sports, Samus mm. Reyes, when they just signed, right. or from other positions. And so, but you don't have that guy right now going into camp where you can say, oh, this is the guy. So they may address that one still in the draft. And, you know, because they need that. I think if you have that second tight end option as a pass catcher, now you can diversify your offense even more. You have two tight ends. You have Samuel and you have McLaurin and you could have McKissick or McKissick or Gibson in the backfield. You could even run empty formations out of that because all of them know how to run routes and catch the ball. Or, or you can put Samuel in the backfield against a nickel front or McKissick or Gibson. So there's a lot more options you can do if you get that other tight end. So they still need that. They still want a left tackle, starting left tackle to help with the run game. But Adding Samuel and Humphreys gives them more options, and that's what they needed. And again, the ver- I think it expands the versatility of the offense. And Humphreys gives them again. Not he's not a dynamic player, but he's a reliable player. If it's third and five, he's going to get as someone Tennessee told me. If it's third and five, he's going to get you five point oh nine 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 yards. <laughs> you know, he gets what is needed, and he knows how to work off people. And it's just I think his reliability factor will be a big plus for Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think they have more versatility in offense. And then you brought up um, Antonio Gibson. Gibson mm-hmm. was a rookie last year, making the transition from college receiver. And it took him a few games to learn. The more he's incorporated into the pass game, I think you could, you know, that's what they're hoping to see more of from him. 
And that would ex- help expand the offense if he becomes better in that area. And as an, as an NFL running back playing some of those spots, you know, and all that. So that, so there's more room to expand here, but, but it's been a good off season so far for that. The picture you're painting, John does sound really exciting. I'm sure for Washington fans listening out there, just in terms of the, the range, how expansive this offense could be is your sense that Scott Turner as an offensive mind is somebody that is uh, opportunistic and creative and, and innovative as opposed to a quite conservative. If you compare him to, I mean, again, at the extreme end of the Jerry Jones 10 end and Andy Reader or Sean McVay in terms of what he dials up as opposed to a more conservative mind, is there a sense that if Turner has all these weapons around him, he might like to paint a pretty vibrant canvas or is he erring towards a, a more straightforward conservative type of offense? I don't think he'd be more straightforward conservative. I mean, his dad wasn't really that either. Mm. Um, North Turner, former NFL coach. But the other, the truth is that we don't really know because we haven't seen it. He hasn't been in this role long enough to know. And so I think we'll learn a lot about him. But you did see a lot of different formations last year and getting guys, getting your talent the ball in certain ways. And when I would talk to people on other teams, some scouts or executives, the comments, you know, one guy told me like they don't have a bread and butter because they don't have the talent to have that bread and butter play. Like it's third and two. What's your run play? Right. You know, things like that. So but the point is, like, you know, we didn't see them with a full, you know, they had a, they had they went through three quarterbacks. And mm. I mean, one was Alex Smith. And what a great story. But he wasn't really at a point where he's going to threaten you with his arm. Right. Mm. And and Kyle Allen gets hurt. And Dwayne Haskins couldn't hurt people. So it, it just you don't know where he's really going to go because we just haven't seen it. I do think, again, looking at some of the formations, when they had Kyle Allen or Alex running it, guys who knew the offense better, even Heineke, you did see a different style of offense or maybe a slightly more aggressive or being able to get to more plays in that playbook. So I think we'll see that. I just don't – I don't know to what level he's really at. They don't – you know, if Fitzpatrick is a better quarterback than what they've had – but he's still in the NFL realm. He's not a top 10 quarterback. Right. Right. And they still need to get him more. But I do like there's a, there are a couple of plays with Antonio Gibson where he had a 44 yard run against Dallas. Well, on the play, he lines up in the left slot. Okay. They fake, they fake a handoff. They fake a jet or they fake the jet sweep. They fake a handoff and they give it to him coming the other way. It's a 44 yard gain. So like that, sh- that's not a traditional run right. play for a running back. Right. But it was 44 yards. So I do think you'll see some more of that. And you have to, because I think that's what that's what will be their strength. Um, but I don't know, like, sometimes you need that conservative bent. Like, you sometimes you don't want to get overly cute. It's like, hey, mm. this just calls for this aspect. It just calls for this power, power, power run game. You know, will he do that? I don't know. I don't mm. want to sit here and sell a false bill of goods on him because I don't know. I think, I think we'll learn a lot. You know, it took Sean McVay a year or two to learn how to be a coordinator. Right. Um, he was criticized here at times. So was Kyle Shanahan. Those guys are pretty good. Um, I don't <laughs> right. think he's like those guys as far as like people would describe those guys as mad geniuses or mad mm. scientists. I don't think anybody, I don't know that anybody's saying that about Scott Turner, but I think we can see some more from him. And I, but I can't give you a full cause we don't know. We haven't seen him with, um, you know, a full complement of guys right. to work with. Then what does he do? We'll see. 
Well, that is really encouraging, I think, the the final point in particular for the prognosis this season, because we know this team has one of the stronger defenses in the NFL, right? And it's defense that has got even better with the addition of William Jackson. So that's a big deal. Jackson, 42 million, mm. three years for the former Bengals corner. What does Jackson add to this already very stacked defense? It's a good defense. And I do think that they still need some other parts, um, still need another linebacker, um, They still need to find a free safety, but I think that that can come maybe either during or after the draft. But William Jackson, and I I would say, I think they need more corner depth. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff that they still need, and I think like they benefited last year. I felt like, I thought they were a good defense, but they also played a lot of quarterbacks who you would not say are top-tier quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. They're going to play more of those this year. So statistically, they may take a step back. Um, not Maybe not a big one, but maybe a step back but they may be even better than what they were because they're facing better offenses. Um, as far as William Jackson goes, um, and I do think it is a good – and that defensive line, listen, Montez Sweat and Chase Young are just going to get better. So that's reasons for encouragement for Washington fans. But William Jackson, he's replacing Ronald Darby. Darby had a nice year. William Jackson is a really good press corner, uh, and he's got length and he's got speed. And, but he, and he's an exceptional press corner, I think. And so I think he brings a little bit of energy to that side of the ball. I think he'll benefit from a change of scenery getting out of a, you know, Cincinnati where I think it's just a mess to play. Mm. Um, so I think that, so I think that will help race his game. I know he's encouraged playing behind this front. Um, I think he'll just give him a little bit better corner play than what they had, but Darby was solid last year for the most part. I think the question will be for him. How does he play? Not like Cincinnati only played zone. They played a lot of zone there, but his strength has been playing press man. Mm. These guys will play a lot of zone. How does he adapt to that? Um, and, and you know, it's using your eyes versus just knowing the guy in front of you. So I think he'll be fine there. I think he's a definite upgrade. Um, and I think he's, he's, I think he's going to be better here than he was in Cincinnati for the two reasons, defensive front and also just getting out of there. I think that place beats you down. Mm. And I think here, and it might be funny for watch fans to hear, like, this isn't the place going to beat him down. But getting out of that place, I think, will just be a benefit, you know, on its own. Lanny, anyway, you realize Ollie, our producer, is a massive Bengals fan, so he's thrilled to hear, he's thrilled to hear that <laughs> on the other side of this. Well, I will say, so for, for him... <laughs> I've heard so many good things about Joe Burrow and what he is as a legit, legit guy, as far as like his knowledge of the, you know, as a passer and um, just like his knowledge of situational football, the way he works, the way he studies, that that's the guy you can pin your hat on. I just think it may be another staff that benefits from him. Right. Okay. Well, that's a little bit of upside for you all there. Before you let you go, John, let's uh, <laughs> quickly look at the draft. So you mentioned backer, you mentioned the secondary is an area that they need to strengthen. Picking 19, which is a kind of complex spot to pick in many ways, uh, yeah. I guess. So where do you think they might be looking in the first round? Um, I think tackle and linebacker would be the first two spots I would look at. And of course, you know, you got you. You're always gonna. You should always go best player available, but then you can put at at area of need. And I think it may mesh with what they want. Um, so I think those would be the two spots first. I think quarterback is still in play in the first really? round. They they could they could trade into the top ten if the right guy's there for the right price. I don't know what the price is, and I'm not 100 percent positive. I would say Trey Lance, but I don't know that for a 100 percent positive. 
Let's think so, about that for a moment. I think because if, if, the, if we believe, and this is lots and lots of ifs, right? But if, if Mac Jones does go three, right? Or let's just say it's Fields or Jones at three. So you're left with I, a Trey Lance and either Mac Jones or Justin Fields that will go in the top 10. You're thinking that Washington, if either of those players are available, could conceivably be one of the teams that would be prepared to trade up and get them. I think they would at least explore it. And then, but I don't know to how serious they are about that. Um, I know that it remains an option because anything remains an option because you don't know who's going to fall. Listen, if mm. Kyle Pitts somehow unexplainably falls to 10 or 11, I think, I think a bunch of teams are going to be looking to trade up to get him and they'd be one of them because mm. they know, I think that's the guy that they'd be excited about the most to get in the first round. Um, and so, but yeah, you, you can't take anything off the table. My sense, Nat, would be that they stay at 19, or if they move up, it might be a few spots to get a linebacker, to get a tackle. Um, so, that, But then, again, linebacker, tackle. I think if they hadn't signed Humphreys, I would have put receiver on there as well, mm. or slot receiver. I still think they may look for a big receiver at some point in the draft. But the primary, the, where the, the, the talent level in the first round at tackle and at linebacker is pretty good, and it fits with what they need. So those two would make the most would make a lot of sense right now. Excellent stuff, John. It is a pleasure catching up with you. Always appreciate your insight. The John Kime Report uh, going strong. So what have you got coming up there? How often are you dropping those episodes, and where can our listeners check it out? It's, you can check it out, Apple, Spotify, wherever the podcast can be found. Um, I, I have a, a, an interview that's coming up later today with Washington Safety Cam Curl. Then Matt Bowen with ESPN, he's going to be coming out this weekend. So there's a lot of draft stuff leading up to it. Um, three a week right now leading into the draft. Two a week typically in the offseason. Three a week during the season. Nice, short, tight podcast. So, you know, you get your Washington fill. And, and like with Matt Bowen coming up, if you want to learn about quarterbacks, we're going to be talking about them. So it may not pertain to – it's not just about Washington. You can learn about guys that may impact your teams in the draft. So there you go. Yeah, Nat, I always enjoy coming on here with you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, John. Good to see you. Check in with you soon, I hope. Take care, man. Lovely stuff from John. Remember, his podcast, The John Kime Report, available at all good pod catches. Let's move things swiftly along to one of Washington's long-standing rivals. Another team that have been in the doldrums in recent years, but are picking things up. The New York Giants have had a prolific free agency. What are they going to be doing in the draft? Are things looking up finally for the Giants? Jordan Ronan, ESPN Insider, joins us to tell us. It is great to welcome the host of the Breaking Big Blue Pod onto the show for the first time. Jordan, good to see you. How's life? Life is good. You know, we're, we're getting ready for the NFL draft. Things are getting back to normal here, kind of, sort of. Uh, and the NFL is, you know, trudging along. I mean, through all this, they, they miss, right? Right. And not, not a game. Uh, unbelievable. Not a game. And year on year, the NFL just seems to get more and more effective at being relevant all year round. I mean, I remember when I first started covering the game, it wasn't the case. It wasn't, you know, there was definitely a big old downtime after the Super Bowl before we started cranking up the hype machine again. It just, this seems to be like a day, a day grace, even then. I think the day after the Super Bowl, there was just, we're straight back into it again, aren't we? People always ask me, they say, do you cover the Giants all year round? Like, what do you do once the season's over? And I said, really, the only downtime, right, because it goes straight into the, the Super Bowl and then there's the, the Senior Bowl and then the Combines right after that. 
So it really just rolls in that free agency and then the draft. I always tell them the only real downtime, the only time the NFL shuts down and is, there's really nothing is the first, like, like the last week of June and the first three weeks of July. Right. Then it's everybody takes off. Like the yeah. league is out. Yeah. But that's it. Otherwise, it's an 11-month enterprise. Yeah, it's like Paris in August. The sit- Just forget about it. Everybody, every business in Paris apparently just closes down. The NFL, similarly, just a few few months before. <laughs> the Giants have been busy, huh? So let's talk about it because things are looking up for, for New York. Kenny Golladay is where I've got to start because that surprised a right. lot of people. He was maybe the most in-demand receiver. I mean, it's a genuine number one yeah, receiver. No. And, and for yeah, the Giants I, to I, land him, you know? Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, look, he was the guy, that alpha male receiver. He was the one guy out there. They knew it. Like, that was their, the only guy. that there, There's other guy, good receivers out there. But the Giants needed a number one guy, a guy who can catch the ball uh, in tight spaces, make tough catches with guys on him, really command that respect from the defense. Where the defense says, hey, we got to really watch out for this wide receiver who plays on the outside. Mm-hmm. Right, they, they, a slot guy like Juju Smith-Schuster wouldn't really make sense here. That's kind of where they were before. They had Golden Tate. He was a, generally a slot guy. They have Sterling Shepard. He was generally a slot guy. Neither were, were alpha male, true number ones at this point. Kenny Galladay fit what they needed. Now, they paid a lot of money for him, right? $18 million. No mm-hmm. one really thought he was going to get that on the open market, mm-hmm. considering where the market was this year. But it was a need the Giants had. And... They went out and they weren't, they didn't just jump at it and say, okay, we're getting Kenny Galladay at all costs. Mm. They actually went after Leonard Floyd, who re-signed with the Rams. Mm. And that was going to be their big move. When that didn't happen, they still kept the options open on Kenny Galladay. And once they were able to answer some questions they had about Kenny Galladay, because last year did not end well for Kenny Galladay <laughs> in Detroit. Yes. It didn't really end well for anybody Anyone last in Detroit. year. <laughs> yeah. Right. Considering, especially the guys who were out of jobs, right? Who lost their jobs over there. Right. So they had to answer some questions. And once they got those answers, uh, questions answered, then they said, okay, let's make this happen. And they almost did it and said, whatever the price be, like, we need this guy. This is something Daniel Jones needs. We need to find out if Daniel Jones is the real deal. And how do we do that? We get the right people around him. And that included getting a number one type wide receiver. And this was really the only way to do it. Even if you draft the receiver at 11 as a rookie, that's certainly no guarantee yep. that guy is an alpha male, number one wide receiver in his rookie year. Yeah, I mean, look at even though receivers are acclimatizing much more quickly in their first year than, than, than ever before. Look at someone like Jerry Judy. Like he didn't have a bad season, but everybody said, wow, no. out of all these receivers, he's the short thing. And oh, it's not that it's not that straightforward. Henry Ruggs. Ruggs. Right? I mean, Henry Ruggs was a pedestrian player as a rookie. So, I mean, yeah. It certainly wouldn't be a lock that if you draft a guy at 11, he's going to come in and be a, a true number one. It's actually really that unlikely. Unless you get the, Justin Jefferson, I guess. Yeah, right. Exception to the rule. That's the key, isn't it, though? That It reminds me a lot of the, in terms of construct, of the, of the digs to Buffalo move, yeah. right? Uh, and, and Yeah, that's the natural connection, for sure. Yeah. Is that how you're reading it? You kind of touched on this. The Giants saying... We've got to see what we've got here. Give Daniel Jones a genuine number one receiver. But if if does that put extra pressure on Jones insofar as is this season, now they've given him his guy and other pieces we'll talk about in a minute as well. Is it a make or break season for Daniel Jones, do you think? Yeah, it really probably is. I mean, you have to look, the Giants love Daniel Jones, okay? They like what he brings. 
in regards to physical skill set. You know, he could throw the ball. He can run. We've seen that the past this past year, especially the way he can move. Uh, they love the way he works, leads, all these things. That's great. That's fine and dandy. But until you put it on the field, right, those are just traits and skills. You got to, at some point, bring it. This mm-hmm. is year three. He has a lot moving in his direction. They added Kenny Galladay and, and essentially Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. So you add those two guys to the offense, you naturally are going to be significantly better, and you should be. God, they, nobody scored less points than the Giants last year except the Jets. Like, that's how bad the offense was. So there's the bar is pretty low. But you got to find out how many years you're going to wait to see and, and be convinced with the on-field product that Daniel Jones is the guy. Like, year three is kind of like, we need to see it. Like, Josh Allen, they knew after year two, okay? Year two with Josh Allen was, was okay, he's good. How good is he going to be? He still has some flaws. And then the next year made this huge jump. MVP level. The Giants yeah. don't need MVP level. That's probably unrealistic to say, hey, we need Daniel Jones to do exactly what Josh Allen did. That was, that was a huge, huge jump he made. Mm. Granted, they gave him more weapons. But the Giants need him to make that jump. Mm. You know, at least into – you can't throw 11 touchdown passes like he did last year. Mm. I mean, 11 touchdown passes in today's NFL is, is crazy. 14 mm. games. I mean, you, you're, you're not going anywhere if you're doing that. Yeah, so, only, well, you're only going the, one way if you're doing that, right? And I guess as well, yeah. the, the Donald situation, I mean, that's... And I, I feel quite strongly about this. I don't want to go too much off on a, a tangent about it, but I feel the Jets should have given Donald more time. I know it's a new regime. I know it's a new look. I get all of that. But but to our point, it isn't a lock. If you get a first-round pick, they're going to be going to be the real deal and they feel that like it gave him enough time. Time just seems to be less and less now for franchise quarterbacks or potential franchise quarterbacks for coaches and it's that only seems to be trending one way. What does the signing of Kenny Golladay mean for Sterling Shepard and, and for Darius Slayton? It means that they don't have to be the number one guy. Mm-hmm. That's really what it means, right? They don't, they're not going to be the guy when they go into the other game that the defense is saying we got to pay extra attention to this guy or we at times are going to put Need we could move two guys, slide a guy in in their direction, right? So now it means that those guys they kind of slide down the pedestal, and they can be complementary pieces, which is probably what they're best suited for. Mm. And then that in turn gives them more one-on-one matches. Now they're not going to get the sheer targets that they maybe they got in the past or you know this past year. Evan Ingram, same thing, uh, but. They could be just as effective and probably even more effective because, let's be quite honest, not many of the guys were effective in that offense last year. Right. Really, or efficient, I should say. Not effective. Efficient because it just wasn't an efficient offense. They did not have enough big plays in it. So the fact that they are getting put in those spots should help them be equally as productive but significantly more efficient. Jordan, what are the deals that I love the most in terms of upside out of all free agency is the John Ross deal. So what is it? A million guaranteed for a 25 year old receiver that, okay, hasn't lived up to his potential, but could absolutely go off. I mean, I think it's a great, it's a steal. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's one of these, we always say, uh, you know, low risk, high reward. Right. Right. I mean, that's exactly the category that this falls into. You have a guy who is a top 10 pick, who is the fastest guy who we've ever seen run the 40-yard dash, okay? So he clearly has speed. It just didn't work for him in Cincinnati. Everything was a disaster. Uh, The injuries are certainly 
a problem. Maybe it's taken away from him a little bit. But, hey, why not throw him in there, give him an opportunity, see what you got. It's a million-dollar investment, which Mm -hmm. to me and you, a million dollars, hey, I'll take the million dollars. That's a lot of money. (laughs) But in the grand scheme of the NFL – it's it's not it's not a huge amount to risk to potentially get a high reward. And let's let's just say, look, we're not. I'm not. No one should expect John Ross to blow up and be like a, a star. Okay, right. But if John Ross is a guy who goes in there and is finishes with 600 yards and makes three or four big plays, you know, huge catches, big long touchdown catches, yeah. That's a huge success. I mean, that's a yeah. success for a yeah, million dollars. A million dollars is basically the minimum for a veteran in this league. So, yeah, yeah why not? Uh, another one for you, Carl Rudolph, who different age, uh, different stage of his career uh, as well. Uh, so if if Ross is a buy low, high upside kind of deal, what's Carl Rudolph? Carl Rudolph is we need to score points. We're going <laughs> to pay you even though you're getting older. We know you're not you can't create the separation maybe that you once did. He even has a foot injury now that he needed surgery on and the Giants still signed him. Right. But Kyle Rudolph is a really good red zone target. He look at his, his red zone uh, effectiveness over the years, completion percentage, ability to, to make plays and get open in that particular area. And like I said before, think about it. This is a team that finished 31st last year in points scored. They realized they were bad in the red zone. I think they were 30th, mm. so somewhere in that range. I'm not sure how it ended up. You know, That's where they were the last final few weeks of the season. So to bring a guy like that, and that's what it's all about, that. And he also adds a blocking value, which the Giants put a, a huge emphasis on, in, especially in this offense. They have Saquon Barkley. They're going to want to run the ball and run it a lot. Mm. And really, that also will help Daniel Jones by taking the pressure off. So Kyle Rudolph, like, hey – we had to pay for this guy. There were other teams in that market. He, this was a guy we pinpointed we wanted. Mm. Here's the price. We think it's worth it. Yeah, uh, it's, it seems like a lot of smart business. In terms of the um, the line, actually, you, know, you, you got me uh, thinking, what's the situation with Nate Solder? Because he sat out because of COVID last year, right? Is he coming back? Yeah. He is. Nate Solder's back. Mm. But he's going to be back in sort of like a swing role, swing tackle role. So mm. He's not even guaranteed a starting spot. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start. The Giants last year drafted Andrew Thomas fourth overall and then Matt Parrott in the third round. Matt Parrott's someone they like a lot. Huge guy. Like a really long, I mean, looks like a, like a giant. Uh, so he's going to get a fair shot to, to start it right. Andrew Thomas is going to start a left tackle. They have a huge investment in it. Right tackle, you're going to have Matt Parrott, who nobody really saw much last year. He played you know a handful of snaps a game for like, 10 games. Uh, and then you're going to have Nate Solder, who's like the swing guy. They'll probably compete at that right tackle spot. And whoever wins it in preseason training camp will start a right tackle. So Nate Solder's back, but he's back as sort of like veteran insurance. Mm, okay. Okay. But a good experience had to have that have in the locker room. Saquon. So he's back. Yeah. Uh, he's fit. Yeah, he was fighting talk as well. He was tweeting, you ain't seen nothing yet in, uh, in response to somebody. Yeah. Where has he, he been for a while? And put one of his highlight reel touchdowns up. So that's good, right? Good for the Giants, obviously, but good for the, good for the NFL, good for all of us who love the game because he's one of the great players in his position. And it's not always yes. a formality you're going to come back from an injury like that. But what is the general sense in the camp that he is good, set, ready to go, no worries? Or do we have to wait and see him in 
in contact games before we can make that assessment? Yeah, it's still, it's always a wait and see when you're coming back from a serious injury, right? I mean, he's progressing well, but he's still not at the point where he's, uh, you know, running 100% fully running cutting yet. Uh, so there, there's still more gains to be made at this point, but everything you hear is positive. And considering what we've seen the past, I don't know how many years, but it's been a while. I mean, since like, I guess, Adrian Peterson, when he came back, yeah, uh, right. the ACL injury is something you see guys come back from now. It's, it's not like what it once was where it was sort of like a death knell. If you are a skill position player and you have an ACL injury, you're never really going to quite come back and be the same. No, it's entirely possible now, considering modern medicine and where we're at, yeah. for you to suffer that injury and be back. And here's the key for Saquon Barkley, right? And this is big. He suffered that injury in week two. So you're talking September. So he had, let's say he had, it, it took a while until he actually had the surgery, but uh, you know, you're talking October. You still, that gave him more time, right? So he's not now on a crunch timeline. He has plenty of time from, let's say he had the surgery in October, which I believe was, was when he did. You have October until when do you really need him going, uh, you know, August, mm -hmm. September. So let's say August. So that's a good 10 months, 10, almost even 11 months before the season starts. So he has the he had a, plenty of time to get back, and that's a reasonable time frame. So there's no reason to rush anything, mm. but there, you know. So you you take it along, you hit all your 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 check marks along the way, and that seems to be where they are. We're we're like at what are we in uh, April, right? Right, April. Trying to figure this out, you know who knows these days. You never know track of that. what day, month, who knows. One, my God, yeah. It took so a while so to he's like at the halfway point, basically. Mm, that is right. really this, this is this is a six month point. So yeah. let's say it's ten months. So he yeah. he's a little past the halfway. It's a good point, actually. That when you yeah consider just how much time it's been since the injury. Um, one more in terms of deals, and then we'll talk about the draft briefly. Leonard Williams, because it's not always about the new faces. It's obviously as much about keeping the elite talent you already have in <laughs> in the building, and it's all about the dollars and cents as well. Uh, this makes him with 45 million guaranteed, the fourth most guaranteed money the Giants have ever paid out. And, and that is behind Eli, Odell Beckham, and Olivier Vernon. I mean, this is a mega deal. Is he worth the money? Well, the Giants, that's a tough question because the Giants need him. So he's worth the money for them. Like, take him off the roster. And nobody on the roster had more than three and a half sacks last year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, they, they need him. He's their best pass rush. He's a good, really, really good player. He got that money probably not, not only because of his playing merits. I mean, he had half a sack the year before. Guy who had half a sack the year before, he's got $45 million. Well, you say, why? How did that happen? Well, it happened because he had all the leverage in the world. Like the way the whole situation, the Giants kind of did the situation backwards. By trading for him when he was on the final year of his deal about to hit free agency, you know, okay, they trade for him. They give up assets for him. So, obviously, they want to keep him. So, then they have to franchise tag him. You franchise tag him at $16 million a year when he had half a sack for the entire season. Mm. So, then he goes and has 11 and a half. He says, hey, if I was worth $16 million <laughs> right. when I had half a sack, what am I worth when I had 11 and a half? Right. And then that's how you end up with such an exorbitant number. <laughs> so, is he worth a huge investment for the, from the Giants? Absolutely. Played his butt off last year, was great, and their system was one of the better defensive linemen in the entire NFL. 
is he probably worth that long term? And you look at his track record, you know, he's been in the league six years now. That was by far his best season. Mm. Unless he could repeat that every year, which it's seems not difficult when yeah. your first five years, you didn't really get close to that. Right. Uh, so is he probably worth that if he hits the open market? No, but is he mm. worth that to the Giants? Yes, that's that's what he, the Giants put themselves in that situation. Like I mm. said, 16 and a half million for half a sack. What am I worth for 11 and a half? The answer is over 20 million. And then that's what he got. Yeah, that is really fascinating. It's the breakdown of that. I wonder, and I wonder if he's going to be one of those players, you know, that cashes in at the right place, right time, and then is never the same kind of player. So Albert Hainsworth is maybe the uh, a yeah. prototype dealer of that, right? What about Leonard Jack- Williams, though? I will say this about him. He is a good guy. He mm. works hard. Like mm. Albert Hainsworth took the money and didn't yeah, want to work anymore. Everybody do that. See you later. Okay. I don't think the Giants, the Giants know this player. That helps them at least know that we can commit to him and we're not going to get a dog. We're not going to get a dog in, in return. Yeah, fair point. Um, Adoree Jackson is an exciting signing as well because he's a hell of a player, but this makes a good secondary even better, right? Where does the signing of Jackson move the the Giants secondary to in terms of your assessment? Is it one of the strongest units now in it's certainly divisionally, but in the in the NFC, do you think or is there still work to work to be done there? Yeah, I mean Adoree Jackson, when healthy, which is obviously the key here, is a good quality player. And the Giants really they had a bad situation going at that second cornerback spot across from James Bradbury, who was a pro bowler last year. So you're basically starting, I think they started five or six guys at that spot last wow. year, five or right. six different guys. Like it was yeah. ring around the cornerback who's healthy. Who could we just throw out there to, <laughs> to not get demolished this week? And, and <laughs> none of them were really starting caliber players. Mm. So now you get a decent quality, another quality starting cornerback out there. You have Logan Ryan, who they signed, last year who stepped in played really well you have uh Jabril Peppers who's a quality player and then you have Xavier McKinney another safety who's a quality so you have now five really quality players in that secondary so yeah this should be you'll be hard pressed to find a better combination if Adoree Jackson is healthy and gets back to how he was playing early in his career that's at cornerback is James Bradbury and a Dory Jackson, mm. you'd have, you'd be hard pressed to find. I mean, they're easily going to be in the top three in regards to, if you want to put cornerback combos, total secondary up there in mm. regards to talent around the league. Now mm. here's the problem. The Tennessee Titans had a really good secondary too. Okay. They had a, a, a Dory Jackson there with Malcolm Butler and uh, Kenny Vaccaro and Bayard, you know, really mm. quality players in that secondary, but guess what? They realized if we legitimately can't rush the quarterback at all, our, it doesn't matter how good your secondary is. Still going to get bunt. Yeah. So that, that's that's kind of what this Giants secondary is going to come down to. They're going to be a good secondary. How good they can be depends on if their front can get enough pressure, mm. then yes, this will be a, a dominant secondary. If you can't get enough pressure, I don't care how good you are at cornerback, you, you, you can't cover. And that will take us right into your draft part because – See, I'm a pro here. I, I, I love that. I, Just segue. I, I you take it, take, take it away. So what's so Leonard Williams? You, you got to find somebody to rush the passer on the edge. That's what the Giants need. Pick at 11. Uh, that's where they're going to go in the first round, do you think? See, it's a tricky one because this is the whole dilemma. Okay. The Giants are sitting at 11. There isn't that dominant pass rusher that there has been in the past few years. Like, you know, there's no Chase Young in this draft. Right. There's there, like, 
So a lot of the projections on these top edge rushers are teens, uh, you know, late first, early second, and the Giants pick 11th. Mm. Now, quarterbacks are going to go high in this draft. Mm. We already know quarterbacks are going one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Quarterback might go to one, two, three, four. Right. So that means obviously some non-quarterbacks are going to be really good non-quarterbacks, players that maybe some people don't think are going to be available, that I have a feeling have a really strong chance to be available. I asked people around the league, you know, four or five different people with different teams, said, hey, tell me, which non-quarterbacks have no chance to be available by 11? Mm. And they gave me three guys. It was Jamar Chase, LSU wide receiver, Kyle Pitts, and Penny Sewell. Mm. Okay. So that means guys like Rashawn Slater, who most people have projected to be, you know, Northwestern offensive lineman. Most people have in the top 10. Devonta Smith, mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle, the two Alabama receivers. These guys have a legitimate shot, at least one of those guys, to be available now at 11, mm. which will create the interesting dilemma. Do they, are the Giants, do they feel comfortable enough where they can wait till the second round mm. or at least maybe trade back into the bottom of the first round? for that edge rusher and take the value at the top or, and I, this is a big if because Dave Gettleman has never in 54 selections of as a general manager traded back. Interesting. He's traded up. Never. Yeah. Never ever traded back. So that's not He's- really his philosophy, but it makes sense this year. You could trade mm. back into the teens. It's say 20, whatever you can gain draft capital Add picks because Giants don't have a ton of picks. They have their four first four picks, one first one first four rounds, mm. natural whatever their picks were supposed to be. Mm. No fifth, and then two six. So they're not like overloaded with draft capital. They could use some more picks. You know, another second or third round pick would be great. Mm. Uh, you know, if you could add picks, move back, still get your top edge rusher, and then someone else wants to move up for one of those guys that we consider premium guys. I mean. There's that that potential is definitely there. This is kind of made for them to do that if they want to go that route. But it'll be interesting because Joe Judge comes from Pitt, from New England. Yeah, right. They trade back all the over the place. They trade right? everywhere. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Gettleman's, I never realized that. So he is the, he is the diametric opposite of Belichick. This could be the draft where yeah. the Patriots break their own type. And, and you know, we're hearing that they That's might right. actually throw it in and, and trade up for the first time ever. And that would be they might be. They might turn into Gettleman and get, right. and then the Giants <laughs> and then Gettleman and Joe Judge might turn into Belichick. Yeah, big time. There we go. Only in the draft room now. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is. Uh, final question I'll ask you, Jordan, on Gettleman because he's a. Uh, I think it's fair to say a, a heavily criticized figure. Is that is that reasonable? And uh, oh yeah, Giants Giants fans that uh, I know. Uh, 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 not at all uh, plus for the fact he's still there calling the shots. This is a huge draw for him, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, this is a huge year for him. Uh, And the reality is he's connected to Daniel Jones. Like it's Daniel Jones and Gettleman. If Daniel Jones blows up and is great, Dave Gettleman's going to be look good, right? His legacy with the giants is going to be based on whatever happens with Daniel Jones. So this year getting it right now and making sure they're good this day, the criticism about Dave Gettleman is deserved. I mean, you can't sit there and say he's doing a great job. They won 15 games in his first three years as general manager. Mm-hmm. The facts are the facts. There's been mistakes made. I mean, John Maris stood up there 
couple like a month or two ago and said, yeah, we made miscalculations, uh, you know, in 2018. Yeah, we, we of mm. course, we, we knew, we know you made miscalculations. You know, they rolled back Eli. They tried to, to, to extend that window. It was a disaster. And this guy is the general manager there. So he's obviously going to take the brunt of the criticism. So he's a total lightning rod. You know, people, if something goes mm. wrong, he's going to be the first to point the finger at. Mm. And if they have another losing year, four years, four losing seasons, if you really and if Daniel Jones isn't that guy, then what did he do in four years? Because he came in and claimed he was his number one thing was we're gonna get the, we're gonna get the, the hog mollies, the offensive line right. Their yeah. offensive line is probably still their biggest question mark as we sit here right now. Right. You know, this is year four the offensive line rebuild. So yeah, he's done some good things. I'm not gonna say he has. I mean, last year the moves were much better. Uh, the draft was very promising last year. Mm. Uh, the free agent moves were very promising last year. But in the end, you got to win games, and if you're not going to win games this year, he's who the who are they going to blame? Mm. You're not going to blame. It's not going to be Joe Judge in year two right away. It's going mm. the blame is going to go to Dave Gettleman. So yeah, he'll be it's a huge year for him. The pressure's on. They have to win. He needs to find his OC. That's what he needs. Hey, oh, if only he could find out. There is no other. There's only one OC. You know that. You there know. is only one OC. That's for sure. Oh, man. It is great to catch up with you. Uh, Breaking Big Blue is the pod uh, for all Giants fans out there. Go and check that out. Uh, and, of course, you can read Jordan across uh, the ESPN network. Great to catch up with you, man. Come and see us soon. Appreciate it. Anytime. Brilliant stuff from John and Jordan. Really appreciate their insight. I'm sure you do too, gang, as we build up to the draft. More shows coming thick and fast. We're dropping one next week as well. Ben Isaacs and Tom Lugerbill. Hey, there might be so much to talk about. We might even drop two episodes with Ben looking at more and more of the draft prospects. If you haven't checked out our quarterback special yet, the first of our college days strands, that is available now. Uh, so go and check that out. Ben breaking down the top quarterbacks in this draft. They're giving a few sleeper picks later round picks as well. He's going to carry on looking at more players that could be heading to your team. Tom Lugenbill, who, if you don't know, is one of the prominent minds in terms of college talent in the US. ESPN college expert joining us as well next week. So two terrific guests to help you get set. And there's more where that came from. J-Bell's dropping by. Iron Mike will be in the house soon as well. So over the next coming weeks, the pods are rolling thick and fast. Always good to have you with us. We appreciate it. And if you want more, well, head on over to our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, lots of videos from the shows as well. So if you haven't checked those out, go give us a follow, go get involved with the conversation. Lots of good chat on there with Tom, Andy and the guys. Look after yourself. We'll see you next week for more. Bye for now. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.